that anyone, if they had the, the discipline and the vision, could furnish the mind with that which would make them capable of truly great communication and leadership. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, wonderful man with the funny words. Wait, no, funny man with the wonderful (laughs) words. That's what one student said about you. Your public speaking skills are famous. Well, no need to flatter. Well, I was just, you know, this is a lead-in, of course, to our topic today, speaking. And I just think of all the surveys that were done, and I actually did a little research before I walked into our podcast studio today to find out how public speaking ranks as far as fears. Oh. And various surveys said 67% of Americans say that their number one fear is speaking. Other surveys said 33%. It's just kind of all over the map. But we do have to acknowledge that standing up on the stage like you do every convention season, every time you do instruction to a group of teachers, a lot of people just would be very fearful of that. And so knowing that speaking is something that we're fearful of, but yet something so important as far as language arts development. Wow. How do teachers and parents help to cultivate speaking skills in their students? Sure. Yeah. Last week, we talked a little bit about how listening is the foundation Mm -hmm. for speaking and reading and writing. Right. And thinking, of course, is the the quintessential element Mm -hmm. throughout all of them. And I noted that we have two words, hear and listen, hearing, listening. One is kind of accidental. We all do it. We all hear. The other is kind of intentional. We listen for something, to something. Interestingly, we also have parallel words when it comes to speak. Talk and speak. Mm -hmm. Talking, speaking. Everybody talks, (laughs) right? It's very rare to meet a person who doesn't talk Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And it's frequent to meet people who talk a lot. <laughs> so everybody, unless you have a, you know, a disability in that area, a brain injury, talks. Mm-hmm. But speaking does have that same kind of intentionality. You speak to someone. You speak about something. It's, mm-hmm. it's more of a transitive mm-hmm. type of active verb. So uh, yes, how, how do we cultivate that? One of the uh, Stories I think you've probably heard me. I was at uh, a friend's home in Chicago, and she has a bunch of antiques and stuff, which I don't really care much about. (laughs) But on her wall, she had a very interesting little antique framed report card from, I don't remember what year, 1904 or 6 or some, Mm -hmm. some very early 1900. And it had the list of all the subjects and then the letter grade 
for whatever student it was. I don't know if it was a relative of hers or some random Mm -hmm. person. What was interesting, of course, is there were some subjects missing. Oh, There was no social studies there. There was history and geography. They both got a grade. Uh, There was no grade for health, so Mm -hmm. I wondered, you know, how do people stay healthy? (laughs) But what was interesting was there was a subject with a letter grade called elocution. Elocution. This is a word that many Americans may not even recognize or Mm -hmm. know quite what it means. It's from the Latin verb loquor, meaning to speak, e, meaning to speak out. Mm -hmm. And so it was essentially the art of being able to stand in front of other people and speak well. Mm -hmm. So there's phases that you would go through in developing this skill. And these phases kind of correspond with the natural development of children. Okay, so last week we touched on, well, we spent a lot of time on preschool. Thank you. My grandchild thanks you as well. Primary and then elementary, middle school, high school. Are these the different phases then that you can go through? Yeah, you kind of can. I mean, there's no strict lines. No. But there are certain activities that become more appropriate Mm -hmm. as the children get older that that do cultivate this elocution, this speaking skill. Uh, One of those overlaps, of course, with what we talked about last week in terms of the nursery rhymes, learning simple little poems and songs with enough repetition that you not just recognize it, but can actually reproduce it. Okay. So... At a certain point, if a child has heard the same little poem or or nursery rhyme enough times, that child will instinctively try to recite it, Mm. to tell it back to you. Mm -hmm. It's just an instinct. You don't even have to ask them or coach them to do it. They will naturally say what they've learned by ear um, because it's in their heart. You know, Mm -hmm. we we learn learn by heart. Now we want to express. We want to share. We want to give back the thing we have. So this, is this different than uh, singing a song, or could it be similar? It, songs and poems are mm-hmm. very similar in many mm-hmm. ways because they're both language-based. Mm-hmm. They very often have some little narrative line or mm-hmm. at least a theme mm-hmm. that is connecting the ideas. Songs and poems are generally easier to learn and memorize and recite because they have predictable patterns. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, a rhyme scheme, and there's a rhythmic pattern that kind of narrows the possibilities of what word could come next. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually easier to memorize poems and songs and to recite them than anything else. So uh, what we notice is that young children can very easily do this. Yes. I have had literally... Mm two-year-olds. Well, I haven't had my own (laughs) two-year-olds, but I have had people show me video clips of a two-year-old reciting a short two-line poem. Right. Usually, Mm ooey-gooey. Which is the first poem in our Linguistic Development Through Poetry Memorization course. I think it's one of our products with the longest meaning-packed title that you came up with. Yeah, it's not very catchy, though. No, But no. linguistic development through poetry memorization. Kind of says what it is we're trying to do there yeah. here, which is trying to cultivate yeah. linguistic patterns. Develop. We're trying to develop linguist patterns in children sure, through poetry. Sure. Well, what, what happens when uh, children, young children, memorize a, a, a poem or a song? The words in the poem move 
into their active vocabulary、mm. because they're able to say that poem, they're able to say the individual words in the poem, and you're much more likely to hear a word from a poem that has been memorized come out in some conversational context.、Mm-hmm. So you're building vocabulary, you're building syntax. Right ways to put words into sentences, hopefully legally.、Mm-hmm. One of the things I did when I selected the poems for the linguistic development through poetry memorization program <laughs> was I wanted poems that were all going to be grammatically correct.、Mm-hmm. I didn't want to use poems that put words together in ways that were too awkward or even not quite legal from a modern grammatical standard,、mm-hmm. because. Part of the whole go- goal in doing that was to furnish the mind、mm-hmm. uh, through the memorization of poetry. Many parents、uh, have discovered that children also can memorize、uh, scripture very、mm-hmm. easily.、Um, mm-hmm. The Awanas program is notable for、uh, getting very large numbers of children all over the world、mm-hmm. to memorize、uh, quite an extensive collection、mm-hmm. of scripture verses,、mm-hmm. and、uh, so there's a lot of power、mm-hmm. in that. And they start、well. very young. And they start very young、uh, and can continue it.、Uh, mm-hmm. We know our friends over at Classical Conversations、mm-hmm. have had、uh, memory work going on with the Foundations program. That's really quite impressive、mm-hmm. when you realize that children can memorize and recite and do it. Not just competently, but skillfully, with a little bit of coaching, and not just for mom, but actually in front of a whole roomful of people. Right, and that moves you a little bit into the opportunity to practice some of those elocution skills, things that would be contributing to your grade on your report card in 1904. Okay, which would be volume, changing your. Speed and pitch, so that you're not speaking in a monotone.、Uh, projecting to the back of a room,、mm-hmm. uh, eye contact,、mm-hmm. appropriate use of hand gestures.、Mm-hmm. All of these things can be modeled, practiced, improved over time. Right. And when you say over time, you know, I'm back to sorry, I'm back to those five boxes. We're not talking necessarily about preschoolers here. We're talking about. Primary and older practicing these skills. Sure,、mm-hmm. yeah, because they would have the opportunity to stand in front of others、mm-hmm. and recite things that they have memorized and be terrified, or maybe not so much because they're young and they like to show off a little bit. The, it is interesting. I know from teaching music,、mm-hmm. it is a whole lot easier to get a six-year-old to stand up and play a recital for the first time、mm-hmm. than to get a sixteen-year-old to、mm-hmm. stand up and play a recital for the first time. And I think the the same is true for standing in front of people and reciting poems or giving speeches.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it is easier to cultivate that aptitude. At a younger age, and you know, if you read books like、um, *Little House on the Prairie*, *Laddie*, *Anne of Green Gables*, *Little Britches*, almost any book about children and school in the 1800s, they would give you at least a little bit of a picture of how those children, as young as six years old,、mm-hmm. were responsible for huge chunks of memorized poetry, scripture, and. In order to prove that they knew it, would stand in front of the whole class and recite it,、mm-hmm. and that became just a normal part of education, as reflected on the elocution grade on the report card.、Yes. There's even an expression 
a lot of people have heard this expression if they've read books like those. You, you wouldn't have ever used it. You're not old enough. But it's the expression, say my lessons. Have you heard that one? Yes. Say my lessons. Mm-hmm. I have to go to school and say my lessons. So that was essentially how you proved you had learned what you were supposed to learn, is you would recite it. Must have had very small classes. I can't imagine my friend who teaches middle school with her 35 students having all of those junior high students say their lessons. Well, no, you wouldn't have everyone do it every time. And mm-hmm. most of those vignettes are from a one-room schoolhouse oh, that I may see. have had sure. 40, 50, even 60 students. Mm-hmm. So not everybody would do everything every day. I see. But when it was your turn, when you were ready, like like so. Then, of course, you know, once you get to a certain point, you could help children write their own stuff to memorize and deliver. Okay. So you you would probably start with young children, songs, poetry, scripture, if you're so inclined. Continue that on all the way through. Mm-hmm. But say upper elementary, middle school, now you could actually write a speech and uh, at first maybe read your speech to the people mm-hmm. or, or read your paper. Although that can get kind of tedious because, you know, people's face in the paper, they can't project out. They're not connecting with the audience. It can be a little bit dreary mm-hmm. to listen to several children read their story out loud in a class. I've been to conferences where the presenter is essentially just reading his or her paper. Right. It's like, can you just hand me that paper yeah. so I can read it and go do something else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a good speaker, you'll notice... They can have written it, mm-hmm. but then they almost know it well enough mm-hmm. that either they have it mostly memorized mm-hmm. or they can reconstruct it as they go. Right. And this, of course, is where people find our keyword outline system so right. very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, incorporate this writing unit one and two uh, where the kids have the uh, notes from the source text mm-hmm. and then they you know, look down at the paper see their keywords, think of a sentence, look up, mm-hmm. and then say the sentence they thought of to the group of people or to a partner or to a small class. Uh, so they look, think, remember, construct the sentence, look up, remember the sentence they constructed, and say it. Mm-hmm. Then they look at the paper, think what they're going to say, look up, remember, speak, and continue learning to speak from keyword outlines. Right. And this skill can go all the way through. Right. We start with here's your dictated source text. You know, here's your unit one paragraph. Mm-hmm. You take keywords from every sentence. You practice this. Take it into unit two. Write it out if you want to. But we've had kids tell stories from uh, their unit three story sequence chart, three paragraph keyword outline in the same fashion. Mm-hmm. In fact, before I came in to record this podcast. I was working on a keyword outline oh, nice. for a talk that's a new talk I'm going to give this year at the conferences. Nice. And I kept realizing that I was putting more words than I needed, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. that I would, all those useless little words like and and of and with and because. And so I, I, I generally would put something and then realize I don't need so many words and and then delete the word, replace it with a comma mm-hmm. or a space mm-hmm. so that when I see those keywords, that tells me, ah, this is the idea that I'm going to communicate next. Nice. So it's a way to, to sequence. So it carries over from, you know, the grade one kid doing the keyword outline on an Aesop fable and then telling it to his class all the way to people, you know, who operate in a, a professional 
public speaking environment. Right. So that keyword outline use of notes, uh, or I would say the use of keyword outline notes, mm -hmm. it gives you the best of both worlds. Right. You don't have to memorize the whole thing and run the risk of forgetting stuff. And you're not going to stand up there and just read what you wrote. Right. And you're yep. going to be able to communicate with the aid of the notes mm -hmm. directly to the people. And then you can skip stuff and add stuff and move it around right. as opportunity or the spirit moves. Right, right. So let me just go through the steps now again. We've got the memorizing and reciting poetry and songs for the preschoolers, maybe doing a linguistic development through poetry memorization for the primary, for elementary. Now we're doing keyword outline and doing little presentations. Sure, and for, continuing with the poetry memorization. You never want to stop yes, that. Yes, exactly. So now we're getting into those feisty middle school years. Right. What do you do for them? Well, um, you can continue doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You just have, you can do longer poems, mm -hmm. right? Ones mm -hmm. that are going to be more challenging. I know that Highlands Latin School, my friends who teach there, their seventh graders all memorize the entire poem Horatio at the Bridge, mm -hmm. which if I recall correctly, is 40 stanzas long. Wow, yep. Uh, and it's just, it's like a rite of passage for mm, seventh graders right. to, to say, I memorized that whole thing, and then they recite it alone, and then they get a little certificate and a pin. And, you know, it's a great thing to carry into adulthood, right. saying, I could do that, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, increasing the length and sophistication, I think it's also wonderful to supplement the memorization of good and great poetry with excerpts from famous speeches yep. because there's really nothing quite like learning the very words that Patrick Henry used right. or the very short speech that Elizabeth I gave as she charged her troops to go off and fight against the overwhelming odds of the Spanish Armada. Mm -hmm. It puts you into history mm -hmm. in a way that almost nothing else can. Uh, which is why in level five of our linguistic development through poetry memorization, <laughs> yes. uh, we added mm -hmm. 20 excerpts of famous speeches, mm -hmm. which aren't as easy to remember because they're not quite as predictable in terms of uh, rhyme scheme and rhythmic patterns. Mm -hmm. But they, they stimulate the imagination, right. especially if you have read a little bit more mm -hmm. about what was going on in that time yeah, or you, place in you history. You could actually do a history curriculum write your own history curriculum based on the speeches that we selected for that. And I think we did them chronologically, didn't we? I think we tried to. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. And uh, so uh, that's that's a great thing to mm -hmm. do. And, and children used to do that too in middle school and high school. In fact, in some schools I have seen, the high school uh, will do a declamation competition, Okay, which is essentially – you memorize someone else's really famous speech and you practice it and practice it and practice it until you can give that speech effectively mm -hmm. as if you were that person. Oh, okay. And uh, I had the privilege of judging a declamation competition uh, not too long ago at one of the classical high schools here in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And I was quite amazed. I mean, some of these speeches were nine, ten minutes long. Wow. And, and very intense mm -hmm. as well. Uh, the ones that won had, of course, the combination of content value, of emotional impact, 
and of historical significance, mm, mm-hmm. and of course, a very polished delivery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's, in a way, combining uh, the skill of memorization, the many different aspects of the skill of elocution, along with kind of a bit of drama mm-hmm. and acting, right. which uh, is also a great opportunity for middle and high school kids to um, be part of a dramatic production. Right. You've had kids in drama, I Yes, think. Yeah. yes. And memorizing their lines and that was, you know, definitely got the whole family involved. Yeah. And uh, we did that for years, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had a Central Coast Homeschool Theater Ensemble. Mm-hmm. And so uh, almost my five younger kids all got a chance to be in plays and sometimes even take a lead role. And it's it's funny when your kids are in a play, your home becomes kind of a constant rehearsal zone. Absolutely. And uh, so there's a richness to the language there as well. And of course, many schools and uh, the homeschool leagues uh, include speech and debate. Mm-hmm. And, and this is very formal competition for which there are concrete guidelines and rules and formats that must mm-hmm. be followed, mm-hmm. um, but a wide variety of things that kids can do. So I would strongly recommend uh, if you are teaching in a school and you can start a forensics club or a speech club, mm-hmm. that'd be a tremendous gift to your school if you don't already have one. Right. If you do, encourage your students to get involved. Oftentimes, you know, it can travel to other places to compete with other schools. Uh, mock trial or moot court, sometimes mm-hmm. it's called. That's kind of a combination of memorized stuff along with knowing information and having to speak impromptu a bit Mm -hmm. and some acting skills all thrown in together. Mm -hmm. And uh, very often, uh, moot courts will have a competition in an actual courthouse. Nice. And they'll ask judges, real judges, to come and be judges in the moot court. And uh, a couple of my kids did that and had a very Mm -hmm. good time with it. I was very impressed with that. Then, of course, there's um, values debate Mm -hmm. and policy debate. Uh, And, of course, we we have materials. Uh, We've published in cooperation with the NCFCA. Right. Available for all the speech events and all the debate events. Well, I want to come back to that in just a second. I want to just, you know, give a shout out to that speaker who put together that course called Speech Boot Camp, something like oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and that was you, of course. Well, yeah, it was interesting. Tell that story, uh, yeah. I, we're, our debate club in California um, had grown gradually over many years. And so for a few years, I did what I called a speech boot camp, which was in August before school started mm-hmm. for kids who were interested in joining the debate club. And so it was kind of like just introduction. Okay, here you come in. You're going to do four speeches in two weeks. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have time to memorize them perfectly, but that's okay. You are going to give four speeches in two weeks. You're going to critique each other's speeches. We're going to give a little bit of instruction. And if at the end of that, you kind of like it and want to learn more and do better, join our debate club. Right. So it was kind of a recruiting device for the debate club, right. as well as a filtering device. Mm-hmm. And then when I said, oh, sorry, I'm moving to Oklahoma, I said, well, who's going to do speech boot camp? Right. I said, well, I'll do it one more time and we'll record it. Right. So that's how that video came into being. Um, and uh, so it's a self-introduction speech, and then there's a story speech, there's a descriptive speech, and a persuasive speech. Right. And so I go over the model and for that, and what I did was uh, I brought in people who were very experienced, 
had years of high school level speech and debate under their belt mm -hmm. to come in and do a demonstration for each of those. So the younger kids who were probably all 12 to 14 had a chance to see what a polished version of that would look like before they had to right. do it. And boy, have we had the stories. Mm -hmm. I would say every conference I go to, someone comes up and says, well, you know, I bought that speech boot camp and my son, he really, really didn't want to do it. Right. But after, you know, the four weeks or the month or two that we did it, now he wants me to start a whole speech club. What should I do next? <laughs> start a speech club. <laughs> so it is a case where... Um, you know, in acting, they, they call it the bug bitcha. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a little bit of success in an experience can cause you to like that and want to do more of right. it. What I, what I love about these products that we have, the first two we've talked about, linguistic development through poetry memorization and speech boot camp, gives kids the confidence and therefore the competence to become good communicators. Yeah. And I love that. I, I think so. And if I could finish up with probably what to me is the most dramatic example that I have ever heard that I know of yeah, in all of history yeah. of the incredible power mm. uh, of memorized language mm -hmm. to create true in, in intellect and leadership ability. That would be the story of Frederick Douglass. Yes. You, you remember Frederick Douglass. I was, as you were Describing what you were going to talk about, I was predicting. Yep. So m most people are familiar with him because of his book, mm -hmm. his autobiography. But to me, the most interesting thing about him was not in his autobiography, but in a biography that someone else wrote hmm. about him. Mm -hmm. So when you think of his situation, so he was born into slavery. Mm -hmm. He was separated from his parents at a very young age. Mm -hmm. He was forced under brutal conditions to work almost all his waking hours uh, in hard labor for, almost, for his entire childhood, really. It was illegal to teach in that time and place. It was illegal to teach a slave to read or write or educate them in any form at all. And I think you could say, you know, short of being chained into a, in a closet, he had the worst possible education, the worst possible language development environment that you could imagine. Right. Yet he became, mm -hmm. I would argue, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, orator that America has ever seen. Right. You might argue that some of his predecessors, like Patrick Henry, were greater in terms of their orations and public speaking. But I know of no one from his time forward, mm -hmm. certainly no one in the modern era, mm. who wrote speeches with such incredible, incredible eloquence and delivered them with such passion and power. Of course, I, uh, you know, I have only read his speeches. I did not hear him personally. Right. But people attest to the power, conviction and, and if you go read his speech, it's usually called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. It's amazing. It blow your mind. You, you or I could never, ever write something like that. Mm -hmm. So it kind of raises the question, how is it that a person with such a horrible, right. horrible childhood and education and formation during the most important first 12 years of his life, how did he become such an incredible orator? 
Well, we know because someone asked him once and said, Mr. Douglas, how did you become such a powerful speaker? Yes. And this was his answer. He said, well, as a free man, one of the first books I owned was The Columbian Orator. Uh, I believe this book was published in 1795, if okay. my memory is correct. And it is, it's not a huge book, but it is a maybe 100 pages. It is a collection of the greatest speeches in all of history, hmm. from Cicero to Augustine to Luther and Shakespeare to Patrick Henry, really the greatest that had ever been said or translated into English in this one volume. And his answer was, I committed them all to memory. Wow. He memorized this whole book of speeches. He must have been brilliant, really. Well, he probably had some pretty good neurology. Yeah. <laughs> but more than that, look at all what he had to overcome. True. I mean, certainly his vocabulary right. had to expand hugely for him to even be able to read those things, right. let alone then use them. So in, in reading and, and memorizing these speeches, mm -hmm. it furnished his mind, not just with the vocabulary, not just with the beautiful syntax and the variety of eloquent ways to put words together, not just with the schemes and tropes and allusions that make the rhetoric powerful, right. but with the very seminal ideas of justice mm -hmm. and right yep. and truth. And to me, that is just so remarkable that anyone, if they had the, the discipline and the vision could, I love that expression, furnish the mind mm -hmm. with that which would make them capable of truly great communication and leadership, as Frederick Douglass clearly demonstrated to yeah. the world. Yeah, incredible. So it's a big spectrum. Memorized nursery rhymes. Join NCFCA <laughs> and do policy debate and values debate with the curriculum that they've developed that we now publish. Yeah. We can't do values and policy at the same time. You have okay. to pick one or the other. But you could do one or, or the not? other, and then you could also do other speech events yes. at the same time. Yes. Platform speeches, limited prep speeches, dramatic interps. And our goal here is to decrease the number of people who report that the Fear public that, that public speaking is their number one fear, right? <laughs> or something like that. Well, more than that, uh, I don't really care how many people are afraid of public speaking. <laughs> but I do think what we would like to see mm -hmm. is more intelligent dialogue mm. happening, both in our homes and schools, but also in the you know greater public as right. well. And what's exciting about furnishing the mind and then practicing the mm -hmm. skill of public speaking, of rhetoric, if you will, it also allows you to think better. Um, it's going to also, I think, cultivate a respect for other people mm -hmm. whose ideas you may disagree with, but because you're operating at a much higher level than just, you know, name-calling and blackballing and saying dumb things. So, um, you know, I would like to see the American people be able to appreciate a debate more like Stephen Douglas and Abraham Lincoln mm -hmm. than what we often see around election time on our networks. Yes, yes. And not just America. The world. The world. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.